with our renewed testimonies. It's great to see the Smiths with us, Nathan and Annika. And for the first time, little, you're pronouncing it Inez, right? Their little, little brand new baby daughter. So it's great to have them with us this morning. Born about, about a month ago now, right? About, about four weeks. So congratulations. Great to see you all. So I told the first service I was kind of nervous about this whole thing this morning because I was a little afraid that nobody would say anything or that I would give the mic to somebody and they'd speak for 18 minutes and then I'd look up and I'd have no time to preach. And, but it was very powerful in the first service, yet very simple. Uh, Daryl Rowe shared with us that as a part of his renewed commitment, he had made a decision to put on Christ through faith and to put off swearing. And he had seen God work in both of those things. It was pretty cool. Beth Galano shared with us that she had made a decision to try to, to put on love for her sister. Her sister has the ability to push all of her right buttons, you know. And uh, they had always, always had a lot, of, a lot of strife between them. And she said just, just in, in recent days, and I'm speaking for her right now, that uh, as her, as her uh, sister, uh, as her mother's been sick, that she even had the opportunity to pray with her sister for her mom. It's just been some neat, seeing God doing some neat things. So how has God worked in your commitment? As you have made a commitment to put off or to put on, to put off something that took you away from God or to put on something that would draw you closer to God. How have you seen God work in your life since the last Sunday in 2009? Yes. Claire. You asked us to make a commitment of a new spiritual habit. And when I went home and I prayed about it, and I thought, Paul and I, avid readers, we read a lot of secular books. And I said, what way could I make a commitment? And we decided to read the Bible through in a year. Amen. So I thank you for challenging us and getting us out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Is Paul cheating and getting ahead again like he did before? Yes. The last time he made this commitment, he said, I'm going to get this over by May. I don't want to be reading in the summer. So he just ran through the whole thing and got it done in a hurry. So, all right. Someone else. Yes, Michael. I'll be brief. Um, I was so moved, Neil, by the, the passion. And uh, I don't know if I spoke to you about this, but some people I have. Just seeing the, the, the evil Satan in the crowd moving and smiling it made me think about my life and, and what happens and where I see darkness and um, made me realize that in my life that I need to be a beacon for so much people I see in despair at work and, and in my travels that they need a, a, a spirit of hope and just the message and just what I have found in terms of Jesus Christ and turning my light over, my life over, just to be that, try to be that beacon during my work week and, and just dust away and blow away these clouds of darkness. And that I think it was just so moving when I just saw that, that, that person. And it just made me think of, of uh, to be vigilant and just to be, you know, and, and to spread the good news. There's so much despair and, and depression that, People need it to hear the good news. Amen. Very much like Warren Hardy shared in the first service. Very much the commitment he had made. Someone else? We'll let you off the hook, Jeff. You did a good job last week, so we'll let you off the hook this week. So, so Ken? Well, when Neil challenged us to, uh, to renew or to put something on or to take something off, God just really challenged me to really challenged me and my faith and my witness to all my non-Christian friends who knew that I was a youth pastor, knew that I was in, um, in ministry, but they would leave it at that. They would just say, oh, he's a Christian. He, that's his thing. And God really put on my heart that I needed to do everything in my ability to reach out to them. And over the last couple of months, God has really opened doors from just simple things of putting a scripture on my Facebook and things like that, where people who I never thought would ever talk to me about 
spiritual things, people who I have known most of my life and really I've tried to talk to them before and it never really hit, but this time they were in need and they knew that I was someone that they could go to just by me just doing very simple things and being obedient to God. And it's been really awesome to really see how God works when you're just obedient. Thank you, Ken. You know, it, we've been looking at seismic shifts, and because of this great work that God has done, that if we will just take simple steps, we can tap into it and see God just send shockwaves through our lives in a very positive way. And today we want to look at the final of those, and that's the Holy Spirit. You know, during Jesus' 40 days of making appearances on earth before he ascended into heaven, there was a time when he told his disciples, you know, I'm going to send you just the way that God sent me. And that, I don't know about you, but that would make me nervous. I think it made them nervous as they thought about what had just happened and transpired. It was right there in their current memory banks. And, and then he looked at them, and, he, and it, the Scripture says in John 20 that he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit is the key to living the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if I can say it any simpler than that. I think many of us, as we think back these last four months as we've wrestled to implement the commitments that we made to put off something or to put on a new element. We know it didn't come easy. We had to f- work our way at it. We had to fight at it. We had, we had to, it was an effort to go forward. And we're keenly aware that there's this huge gap between what we know in our heads to be true about who God is and, and how God wants us to live and, and how He wants us to act and the person He wants us to be. We know there's a huge difference between what we know and what we actually do. And who we are. The Apostle Paul, just he zeroed in on this struggle in Romans chapter 7. In fact, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 8 for today. And you may want to turn over there now. And, and, and uh, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's page 961. But we'll be focusing on, on chapter 8 in the book of Romans. But at the end of chapter 7, he, he, he talks about his own laments, if you will. He, he talks about, you know, I know what it is that God wants me to do. I got it up here. I understand. But what I don't understand is I can't get myself to do it all the time. In fact, my experience is that I often do the stuff that I don't want to do. It says, and I cannot figure it out. And he refers to him as a wretched man. He says, I'm in a wretched place and I'm, I'm a wretch. And then he says, but thanks be to God who's given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he wants to tell us how we experience that victory. And that's what he talks about in Romans chapter 8. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, introduction comments here, just so you'll have it, is that the on, our ongoing Christian experience teaches us, it verifies us, that there's a huge gap between what we know is right in the eyes of God and, and how we actually live, which highlights for us that it's impossible to live the Christ-centered, the God-honoring life in our own strength. It, it, it's really no different than over in the Old Testament where they were never able to fulfill the objective of the law because it rested on their own initiative. It rested on their efforts. It rested on the flesh. And so with our efforts to try to be Christ-like without relying on God. Now we're going to focus in Romans chapter 8 on verses 1 through 17. But I want to read the entire chapter to you. This is the coolest chapter in the Bible. When you just sit and listen to this, and I want to encourage you to follow along silently as you read, I think you'll get a lot more out of it if you're reading right with me as I'm going through and reading it out loud to you. 
But this passage of Scripture, I think Paul starts out with like a doctrinal kind of objective. You've got to know the truth. And by the time they get to the end, he's singing the loudest praises because he's just carried away by what God's Spirit is able to do in our lives. Again, this comes immediately on the heels of his, of his struggling with how is he going to get out of this dynamic of, of, of living unvictoriously. And now he talks about how to experience the victory that comes through living in the Spirit provided by Christ. Verse 1 of Romans 8. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We could stop right there. It'd be a pretty good chapter, wouldn't we? What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He said the law was never able to work because it depended upon our effort. So in order to be victorious, God sent his son onto sin's home turf and beat sin on its own field by being sinless. For those whose lives, verse 5, for those whose lives are according to the flesh, I'm sorry, for those whose lives are according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. For those whose lives are according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it's unable to do so. Those whose lives are in the flesh are unable to please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness, because of Jesus' righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers, we are, no, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Might be more accurate for us in our vernacular today, are God's children. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, which is like, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children. And if children were, were heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking there about the, the completion of God's, God bringing to completion human history in the, in the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Verse 24, now in this hope we were saved. Yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weaknesses because we don't know how to pray. 
for us, as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God's for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, We'll have the power to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a cool chapter. You know, if you want to take on a challenge, take on the challenge of memorizing that chapter. As Paul thought about his own experience, as we think about our own experience, of trying to live out this new life that God's given us in Jesus Christ, a life that we just celebrated last week in the resurrection, he understands there's one thing that can bring us victory. And that's to live in the spirit that God given us in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul makes three basic arguments in these first 17 verses for us that I want to point out to you this morning that are significant for us to understand the seismic shift that God has created through the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed into his disciples and through them into us over these generations. The first thing is that he destroyed the destructive place of guilt in our lives. How does he start chapter 1? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no reason for you to be guilty anymore. Why? You know, the law was given before, and it was supposed to be the means, but because it depended upon us in the flesh to, to make it happen, we kept undermining its potential to bring us into relationship with God, undermining it by what the Scripture calls sin, and it brought guilt upon us. But in Christ... There is no condemnation because the perfect one who was sinless, who came into sin's home stadium and beat it at its own game by living a perfect life in the flesh, he's able to make it where there is no condemnation. There's no guilt for us. Later in the chapter, he says, you know, who could accuse God's, who could accuse God's children? He says, God's the one who justifies. He's the judge. He's the one who gets to declare not guilty. Therefore, who can accuse? There's no Supreme Court above God. God's it. You know, whatever he says goes. He says there is no condemnation. But that's just the objective side of guilt. Objective guilt. That that's been removed. What Paul's trying to tell us as well is that the subjective place of guilt in our lives should be removed as well. I want to tell you, there are many of us who claim to have a life-changing faith in Jesus Christ still harbor the guilt in our lives that comes from sin. 
It's like somehow or another, it, you know, we, we, we just can't be right before God if we don't somehow feel guilty about all the ways that we fail Him. And with that, somehow or another, complete salvation. We kind of earn it through the dependence of our emotional guilt. And God said, I've destroyed all that stuff in Jesus Christ. God has destroyed the destructive place of guilt. He set us free. It's for freedom that He has set us free, Paul says in Galatians. And we need to hear that message that God has set us free. He has set us loose to be victorious in Jesus Christ. Paul also wants to understand us to understand that if we have a faith in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need to live a victorious life. No questions, no doubts, whatever. You have the means to live victoriously. To get out of this wretched state and overcome because the spirit within you has the ability to please God. I mean, look down with me. Let's just reread verses 8 through 11. Those whose lives are in the flesh are unable to please God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. Well, who does the Spirit of God live in? Well, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. He's basically saying that, that if, you don't have, if you don't have, if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. To believe, to be a believer, to be somebody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, requested forgiveness of all the guilty stuff in our lives through the work of Jesus Christ and placed our faith. We have the Spirit of God living within us. We have the means to live victoriously. You need to believe that. I need to believe that. Because often we don't. He said the turning point is the choices we make. And, and Paul makes it pretty simple. You've got, you got one of two ways to live. You can live according to the flesh or you can live according to the Spirit. Now, if you don't have the Spirit, you have no choice. That's the whole purpose, point of, of the early verses of chapter 8. If you, if you don't have a faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have the Spirit of God, you have no choice but to live in the flesh. But if you have the Spirit of God within you, the battle that's raging is the choice that you make to live either your life either oriented around the flesh or whether you're going to live your life oriented around the Spirit. Now, the flesh, I don't know. I mean, we, we often, when we think about the flesh, you know, we, we think about the sensual sins. And if you go over to Galatians chapter 5 and you read there, you're going to see those. Sexual immorality, promiscuity. You're going to see that stuff there. That has, that, that's a part of it. But that's not, all that all, that's not all that's there. It talks about idolatry. You know what idolatry is? To love something more than you love God. I told a kind of a cute story, in a, in a, a true, cute but true story in the first service. This guy came to one, a guy who had been a long-term chaplain of the U.S. Senate. This chaplain was very godly. And he came to him and says, chaplain says, I, I got a problem. He said, I need your advice. He said, you know, I've, I know the Bible teaches tithing, and I've tithed my entire life. He said, but man, when I first started, I was only making $20,000 a year. And it wasn't that hard to give $2,000, you know, away. He said, but I make over $500,000 a year now. He says, and I just can't afford to give away fifty grand a year. The chaplain sat back in his chair and he thought for a moment. He says, man, you've got a real problem. He said, you know, I think we should pray about this. So the chaplain lowered his head and he said, Lord, I just pray for this guy and I just pray you'd lower his income to a point where he could afford to die. <laughs> that can be idolatry. As funny as that story is, money can be idolatrous in our lives. Our cars, our lawns, our children, anything that we love more than God. He goes on to talk about envy and strife, jealousy, etc. There's a lot of stuff. Life in the flesh is when we live life about us. When the question that determines our decisions are, 
How does this affect me? What do I get from it? And do I want this or not? If those are the things that drive our decisions, we're living in the flesh, period. On the other side, he talks about the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law, as he says in Galatians. To live in the Spirit is to ask the question, what does God want? How can I serve God in this role, this place, this experience? What can I learn from God in this experience? See, how this all goes depends upon the choices we make and the questions we're seeking to answer in our journey. On one end, if we ask those questions, what do I get from this? What's in it for me? Do I want this? Said the outcome is death, a place of spiritual suicide. On the other end, if we're asking the question, how can I serve God in this? What can I learn? How does this glorify God? He says you get life and you get peace. Now, I try to figure, how can we understand how we're living today? You know, and this went over okay in the first service, so I'm going to give it a whirl again. You know, sometimes I get to practice, you know. I get a do-over sometimes during the weeks, you know, for those of you who were here last week. We're living life one of three ways right now. When you think about the Spirit being available to us as a means of God's victory in our lives, we're living in one of three ways. Some of us are living on what I would call an empty tank syndrome. We're going out in our driveways to climb into our, the, the cars of our spiritual lives, and there's nothing in the tank because we don't have the Spirit of God, because we don't belong to Christ. We're talking about all this stuff this morning. makes no sense to you, nor do you care about it. You're living on an empty tank. You don't have to stay that way. God's given us His Son so there can be no condemnation, so that you can have a, a full tank, if you will. And I invite you in the name of Christ today to step out of that syndrome and to move forward in the spiritual journey. If you're ready to take that step as our service concludes, there'll be some folks out at the response table out there. There's some resources out there that they'll, they'll be able to share with you. They'll kind of help you get started in your journey. They'll also be there to answer any questions you might have. There's some cards right in the back of your pew that you can take with you. For the rest of us, and this is where many of us are living, is we're living with a I'll take my own car mentality. Well, what in the world does I mean by that? You know, when we go out... Like when we have a family outing, like we're going over to my mother-in-law's in Marlboro or something, and the boys are home, what they always say is, I want to take my own car. Why are you saying that? Well, one, because I'm putting the gas in the car, not them, most of the time. But see, they want to get there when they want to get there. They want to leave when they want to leave. And when they leave, they want to be able to go wherever they want to go. And so many of us are living our lives, our spiritual lives, with a I'll take my own car mentality. Sure, we want to pull into God's spiritual gas station every once in a while and fill it up with some truth and put it in a little grace and get some, you know, fellowship and et cetera. But, bam, when we pull out of the gas station, we want to be able to go where we want to go. Now, somebody said, you know, we should be talking about GPS, you know, God's spiritual GPS. You know, spiritual GPS may say, you know, you should go this way, but you know what? I'm ready to make it recalculate. I'm going to go that way. And we just go wherever we want. We want that sense of independence and freedom. And many of us are living our spiritual lives with a, I'll take my own car mentality. Where God wants us to be living and where there's victory is in the, I'll take the T mentality. Your pastor has not left his, lost his mind. There is, a, there is a, an, an imagery in here that might speak to you. And I realize there are buses and that there are trains, you know. Except, but have you ever stood on Huntington Avenue and watched the trolleys go by? How do those things move? If you look, there is a rod sticking out of the top of those trolleys. And what does it touch? It makes connection with a high-powered electrical line up above that energizes it. As long as it stays in touch with the power, it can keep moving forward. Same subways work the same way. They call them the third rail, right? 
There's a contact point off of the subway that makes, makes contact with a, a line that carries electricity in it. And as long as they stay in contact, they have all the power in the world. And God's invitation in Romans chapter 8, and my crude understanding for today, is to live our lives in contact with God's power. To take the spiritual tea in our lives where we're always on his tracks and we're always in contact with the Spirit of God who empowers the victory in our lives. So how do you take this seismic shift of the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in in John 14 and 15 and and followed up here and breathing on it and we see it happening in in Acts chapter 2 with the day of Pentecost? How is it that you and I can take a simple, make a simple commitment today and unleash the power of living on God's spiritual tea. And and I want to use the language of Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. You don't need to turn there. Just just listen to this. As he moves to the end of his letter, this is what Paul says to his disciples, to to the, the church of Galatia. He says, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. All you and I have to do in order to to tap into the victory that comes through living in the power of the Spirit in our lives, is to stop having a, a, what's the way I put it here in our our terminology, just so I'll get it right? Stop diversifying your life portfolio. Don't be sowing some out here to the flesh, investing some in the flesh in its worldly, and then investing what's left over to the Spirit, but simplify your life portfolio by simply investing everything you've got in your relationship with God. Sow it all to the Spirit. Let's pray together. God, you've always been smarter than us, wiser than us. And you knew from, the, from before you called the world into existence, before you put the first breath into Adam, that there was no way for us to live this new life without your power. Thanks for giving it to us in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps, Father, I represent many here today who say, I got a long way to go on simplifying my life portfolio so that it's all invested with you. As we step forward in the decision of faith and in staying in constant contact with your power through the Spirit, change our lives, O God. For we invite it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.